Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 151. 1.21 gigawatts of fun. 1.21 gigawatts, great Scott! Alright everybody, we're back. Hey, we're back from the future. That's right. We're here to present you with all sorts of cool stuff. Which we already showed you last week. No, that would be from the past. <laughs> oh. We're back from the future. <laughs> good point. Good point. I think you. I think you have are missing out on a crucial <laughs> understanding of how this time travel thing works. Time travel typically doesn't work. That the the past comes to us. It's normally we go to the past. <laughs> okay. Good point. Yes. I okay. Think. So does that mean we've already done this show, or we're going to do this show? We're going to do the show. Okay. We're going to do it last week and then send it back to this week. <laughs> okay. Uh, as long as you're on it, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you do the editing then, unless you already did. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, Albert. In that case, I'm going to erase the next five minutes of your nonsense and shenanigans. <laughs> All right then. Well then, then let's just jump into it because we got we got some stuff to talk about, but not tons. Oh, we don't have anything to talk about. What do you have? What do we have to talk about? We have an itty bitty bit of news, and I'm sort of just winging it here. Made up news, right? Um, Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so, because somebody crossed out one of my newses. Yes. <laughs> I don't know who would do that. I don't know. Well, so so then we probably shouldn't talk about Asmo Day is having a digital sale right now through July 5th. We'll leave that out. Albert, we are a board gaming podcast. This is not video games. I know, but they're board game related video games. Hey, speaking of board games, uh, I went to the thrift store today and I found a copy of Splendor. In shrink. Cool. In shrink and everything. I went to the thrift store and found about 60 copies of Catan in shrink. Really? No. Yeah. Did you buy any of them? No, why? <laughs> you already have Catan? Yes. And it's not been played in <laughs> years. I- I'm tempted to say four years it's been since that game got broken open, yet for some reason I'm still holding on to it. Yeah, no, I haven't played mine in years either now that you mention it. There's quite a few games that are just stuck here that aren't getting opened up at a time, like Seven Wonders, or Sequence, or Ticket to Ride. I like Ticket... I try and play Ticket to Ride. Nobody else wants to. I like that one. Well, the digital version's on sale, though, so I guess I could go play it online. Ooh, snuck it in. <laughs> the... Okay. Delete. <laughs> Darn. The other piece of noteworthy information, which is not really news is that there's an ex- a new expansion for Viticulture. I saw it at my friendly local game store today or yesterday. It's called Visitors from the Rhine Valley, and it's basically 80 new visitor cards to replace the ones that come in the game. Um, changes, the, changes the feel of the game a little bit. The, the current visitors tend to do a lot of things to help you with your victory points, and these seem to change it up and be more about the business of growing or making wine. Is this a game that you're particularly interested in or something, Albert? Yeah, Viticulture, I like it. I've played it every once in a while. I've played, oh, okay. played solo. I definitely like that one. All right, I was just saying, because like, I walk into my my local friendly game store, and I see lots of games. I would see lots of games that are one to four player friendly. Like I just recently saw a game Lucidity by Renegade Studios. Mm-hmm. But, you know... There's, there's lots and lots of games that we just see at a friendly yep. local game store. I picked that one up. I've, I haven't played it solo yet, but I played it with my son a couple weeks ago. Oh, really? Lucidity? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of fun. It was a bit of a, The two-player game was a bit of a race, to, just as you got the points first. I wasn't such a fan of it, personally. No? 
Have you tried it solo? Yeah. I have tried it solo. Okay. Yeah, I haven't done it. I haven't done that. But you know, speaking of Renegade, it is surprising how often now I go to the game store and I pick up a game and say, oh, that looks interesting. And then I see it says Renegade on it. And it's one of mm-hmm. their games. And I look at the back and it says it's one to four or one to however many players every time. They're very good. At, they, they make a lot of really good games. They make a, really lo- a lot of very good solo modes for them. Mm-hmm. And it seems to do it consistently, which is nice because, you know, people constantly talk about the other publishers that do it, right? They'll tell, oh, Victory Point Games, if you like solo games, go to them or... Or a couple of the no. other ones, but these guys... No, I think Renegade Studios, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. They made a, And I haven't really been disappointed by any yet. Of course, like I said, I haven't played the Lucidity Soul yet. But we'll see. It's just amazing how much they're suddenly making. Or at least it seems that way to me. But I think that also Mind Clash Games, who we're going to be talking about momentarily, has also uh, started to make sure that they're adding in solo modes to their games. Is that who makes Anachrony? It is. Oh, okay. Shall we start talking about Anachrony then? Okay, let's do that, since we already did. Excellent, we are the masters of Segway. Yeah, and time travel. Alrighty, so we're talking today about Anachrony. Anachrony is a game from Mind Clash Games, originally came out on Kickstarter. In it, you are traveling through time. The basic idea of the game, it's a worker placement game where you have workers, uh, and there are four different types, and those workers can be placed in various worker spaces. They can either be placed outside of your robots on spaces on your personal board or inside of robots, exosuits, out on shared spaces on a central board, and you're earning resource and points. The game has a soft timer to the end of it, and once you've reached the end, if you have the most amount of points, then you've won. I don't think you've saved humanity from the final apocalypse, but you've got more points than anybody else, so you're <laughs> happier during the final apocalypse. So so you were successful. It's a legacy. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I suppose... I suppose, I think maybe the theme may fall apart a bit at that point in time, but we'll get back to that when we get to the does theme that, Does that mean you save more people, maybe, or something like that? Not even necessarily, but I'll get back to that when we get back to the theme section. Okay. But basically, it is a worker placement game where you're getting resources to earn points, and you want to have the most points at the end of the game. Gotcha, okay. With time travel. Mm-hmm, which sounds cool. Now, so here, just, just in case anybody's interested... The word anachrony, I looked at the definition, it means a discrepancy between the order of events in a story and the order in which they are presented in the plot. So so generally it refers to fiction and it's saying, you know, the we didn't tell you the story in the order it unfolded, we just we told it in the most dramatic order. So like for example, first we're gonna tell you about how the guy died, and then we're gonna tell you about his life building up to that scene. That's anachronistic. Did you know that? I didn't. I did. Oh, okay. Then that was for my benefit. Thank you, Albert. I only knew it because, as with you, I did look it up. But I remember looking it up way back when it was on Kickstarter. So there you go. All right. So, as with our usual rubric, the first thing we want to talk about are the rules. Albert, have you had a chance to take a look at the rules Mm. for Anachrony? No, I have not. I have have not seen this game. I've never met it or anything. I've only heard about it. You've never met it or anything? (laughs) No. (laughs) 
I do remember it was a Kickstarter game, and I seem to recall that they had a one of the Kickstarter rewards was a sleeve for the game box. Um, I believe so, but I don't have that sleeve. I, I tend <laughs> okay. not to be a big fan of box sleeves. I tend not to actually. This is something that possibly bugs my wife. Is that for my books? I do not keep the dust jackets. Oh, <laughs> they they tend to get stuffed somewhere until they get destroyed and thrown away. You would get along with my kids then. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I know that my wife keeps those very carefully, very, very neatly. Keeps them on, takes good care of them, and I, I tend not to. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, talking about the rules, I apologize for distracting you there, Albert. Um, the rules for anachrony, they are well. I, I can't really say too much one way or the other about them. They're quite clear. Um, they break up the various different points about the the different games they don't they, i mean they don't choose to talk about the actions before they talk about the play of the round whenever you have like a worker placement game it's sometimes hard to judge well should i tell them what they can do or should i tell them about how the turns go and so they ter- chose to do how the turns go, but I almost feel like at one point in time you have to interrupt yourself reading through that, skip over to the actions section, figure out how the actions do it, and then jump back. But you can't do it cleanly, clearly otherwise without it. So I think the rules are, are really pretty good. I think that all of the iconization that they use for it is all pretty clearly explained. There's a whole bunch of icons they use for this game about what the different type of spaces mean and the different types of units and resources and requirements to build on spaces and benefits and ben- uh, and I'm sorry, bonuses and benefits for going on spaces. So there's a whole lot of iconization in here. All of it's clearly explained, and where it's not clearly explained, actually the rules have a full almanac at the end of the game, appendix at the end of the rules, which explains how to, uh, explains in full language what each one of those things are without using any icons. So extremely well explained. I'm very happy with the rules. I'm sure Albert, though, is going to have his usual nitpick about the fact that it explains the regular rules and then does the one-player mode. I don't think Albert should have any issues with that one because for this one, the one-player mode actually includes a special AI-type bot. So hopefully Albert will be okay with that. Even he wouldn't have a complaint about it, but I I certainly don't have complaints about it. As long as I don't have to go read the multiplayer rules and then read the solo rules. You do. (laughs) Then I'm not okay with it. Sorry. Does that mean my exacting standards? It's junk. Throw it up. It's extremely exacting <laughs> standards, and I still disagree with you about it, but yes, you do. Okay. So, that is the rules overall. Pretty good. Okay. Uh, Albert has nothing to say about the rules, so we're going to move on to the I was looking through the book. I mean, it looks really well laid out and everything. The one thing that strikes me is that it looks big. Well, I mean, it's not a light game. Well, it, and it... Well, I mean, physically big. And then I'm going to jump forward from the rules, and I'm going to ask you, this is a big box, right? Because when I look at the pictures online of the box... Yes, it is a big box. It looks like, say, the size of a Pandemic or something. That's the impression I got. But it's much bigger. No, imagine like the old Ticket to Ride boxes. Like square box? Or like a Carcassonne big box type box. Oh, okay. Or or say... um... The old Robinson Crusoe, or maybe the old Power Robinson Grid. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. The the big box, the coffin boxes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that that is, is a big, big box, game. and you need all that space in there. 
That's interesting. You need all that space in there. I'd always assumed it was a lot smaller. You know why? I guess because it's a, that vertical artwork on the box. No, you need a lot of space in there because every person has their own player board. There's a central building. There's every... There, I'm sorry. There's a central board. Um, there's a number of different mini player boards. There's the the bonus boards for the extra modules that you have. There's each building is a small chipboard one inch by two inch rectangle and there's a whole bunch of buildings in there there's decks of cards there's all the resources so there's a lot it it really it doesn't fill the box when you don't have the expansion but with the expansion which was how it was packaged for kickstarter backers it fills the box to capacity oh wow okay i didn't know there was also an expansion for it interesting there is also an expansion for it and i will come back to the expansion later okay so let's go on to the next segment of a rubric theme. So we're talking about time travel. Time travel is often a very difficult theme to do. It's very easy to mess up time travel and figure out how to do it. I feel like they took a lot of positive approaches to how, to how they use time travel. One of the main ways they use the idea of time travel on this one is that when you're playing through the rounds, the first thing you do in a round is you can say, hey... I wish my future self would send me X resource. Like, I, I really wish that my future self would send me back this worker. And poof, <laughs> you get an extra worker. It just pops up, which is the idea that your future self has just sent it to you because you realize that you need it, you remembered it till later, and then you sent it back to yourself. So, poof, you just have it. Um, oh, neat. Part of that trick, though, is that you have to remember to actually then later send it back to yourself. So later on in the game, you need to open up a time portal. And if you send a worker, you have to shove a worker back through that time portal. Otherwise, you're going to cause paradox and lose points and have bad things happen and it won't be fun. Uh, so I could, in theory, say I'm sending 10 workers from, the, from my future self to my present self. And you get to your future and you don't have 10 workers. Well, you you are limited to how much you can do at a time. Um, you can pr- send back two things per round. Okay. Or you can have two things sent back to you per round. Excuse me. Um, so there's a limited amount of times that you can destroy the time-space continuum. So you can't do ten workers. But yes, essentially you're saying, hey, I need my future self to send me this, and then you'll just have it, and then later on you have to fulfill that by paying it. It, it could also be phrased as a loan from a bank mm-hmm. that you have to pay the bank back later without having to pay any interest. Um, it could have, but in reality, it's time travel and yeah. it's fun. Yeah, no, it, it, it works really well with the theme because, I mean, it means in your future self, you won't have that resource anymore because you had to send it back. Yes. So, so you, At one point in time, you do have to send it back. And so, yeah, that's neat. And so when you're mm-hmm. sending stuff back, can you pull it from two different points in time in your future or is it all of it comes from the same okay and as long as you're sending it back to one point in time to that point in time you're good and so okay so if i say i'm borrowing this from the future you're not specifying when in the future just at some point in the future you have to make sure and send it back yes otherwise bad stuff will happen i mean it's not that you have to you can just let the bad stuff happen but bad stuff will happen and i guess it just it's going to end up being a penalty in points or something like that the penalty in points and it causes time travel anachronies to pop up things like that oh cool okay that sounds super thematic yeah i mean that that fact is really quite thematic there is also the whole overarching story of what's going on so the story behind it is that there's there was at one point in time this massive explosion that 
just decimated society, tore a bunch of destruction through the world, things like that. But nobody knows what caused the explosion. So society has started to rebuild itself up into this new future punk type, cyberpunk type society. Um, but our scientists have now seen that there's this incoming asteroid. And this asteroid is primarily formed of neutronium. Now, neutronium has just been popping up in the world, and we've realized that we can open up time portals by channeling power through the neutronium. And being that the asteroid is coming in, it's primarily composed of neutronium. When it hits, it's going to open up even more time portals, and part of the explosion of that asteroid actually got teleported back in time, and that was the explosion way back then. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> And so now this meteor is coming down. And when this meteor hits this time, it's going to be even worse and cause even more damage. So our goal is to build up enough resources that we can outlast through the apocalypse is the idea. Mm-hmm, okay. That, and resources is measured, And resources and fame is measured by points type thing. So you're just trying to subsist through the... Through the yeah, you're just trying to subsist. Even though you're not actually stockpiling resources, you're stockpiling points. Yeah. So that's that. And also, the, after after the, the meteor hits, at that point in time, you can then do an evacuation. Everyone now has the ability to evacuate some of the populace into your buildings. And then you get points for what resources you have when you do the evacuation. But it's not like it saves anybody. It doesn't end the game. It's not a requirement. You get points for it, for actually doing the evacuation, but mm. there's no other like benefit to it. So like I don't understand. I, I don't I don't really understand quite how the theme starts to fall apart as I think about it too much, is the idea. Because we know the meteor is coming, right? Probably a wise thing to do would be to get in the bunkers before the meteor strikes, right? Mm-hmm. It's coming. We should get in the bunker now so that when it hits, we don't blow up. But for some reason in the game, you are not allowed to get in the bunker until after the meteor has struck. That is, yeah, that, that is, uh, we didn't know exactly when it was going to strike, maybe? <laughs> we are very clear on when it's going to strike. Oh, okay. It is not random at all. We see it coming. <laughs> okay. We know exactly where it's going to yeah. strike. So, like, I mean, just as you think about the theme, just too, if you think about the theme too much, it doesn't quite work. Yeah. Or at the very least, it leaves me with questions. Yep. I don't know that you necessarily need to think about the theme that much, but whatever. It, it, it's bugged me a couple times. Because when I tell that story, this, every time I'm introduced in the game, I tell that story that I told you about the meteor coming down and teleporting a blast backwards or time traveling a blast backwards. And it's a compelling story. And it's a really fun story. Mm-hmm. But you just can't think about it quite too much. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, in terms of adding other parts to the theme, all of the buildings, I'm sorry, all of the things on the, on the board, so your leaders, your various different factions, the super projects, the different types of workers, all of them have, have really good names. The buildings actually don't, but eh, um, not enough room on the tokens for them, but everything has, has really thematically appropriate names and all of that helps to continue to immerse it. So all of it very much creates this idea of this parallel society. So all of it and the art too also really does that. So I'd say the theme is, is really good. Just, just don't, don't think about it too much. You'll <laughs> okay. hurt yourself. Yeah, it'll cause a time paradox. Just don't do it. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> 
So yeah, so then jumping forward into the components, you just mentioned the art, and and I guess I've been looking through the the rule book pictures and pictures of the game online, and I had assumed that just from the cover, the cover is sort of plain, and I assumed the game didn't really have much in the way of art, it's going to be sort of abstract, but that's not at all the case. That is not at all the case. There is a lot of art. Each of the individual faction boards have arts. And there's very much a theme for them. Like there's four different types of buildings. So there's like a time travel, a water, a resources, and a conversion type building. And so each of the the various different factions have like their own take on how they would do these things. Like one of them involves like these beasts and one of them involves underwater and one of them involves like ca- uh, like cave type destruction, and so there's very much these themes and how they all tie into it, and the different, um, the and the the main board also is very beautifully illustrated, and and the in terms of the components also they there's resources. So there's four different types of resources, um, and I it's it's titanium, uranium neutronium and one other one which is not coming to mind which are these little cubes but if you have a colorblind issue um so there's actual chipboard versions of them that have different icons on them so that you can tell the difference for those and then one main resource that you have is water water lets you water is the idea of just general supplies to keep your workers working and the these little plastic water drops they're quite small but all of these components, all these pieces, they're beautifully illustrated, beautifully done, just gorgeous. Just absolutely amazing. Hmm. Yeah, it looks great. It really does. And so um, there's a lot on. of components, isn't there? This this game are, takes a lot of space. There are a lot of components. There definitely are a lot of components. Um, and I, I sort of had to come up with ways to like fit it all in the box. When you throw in the expansion, there's even more components because now there's the adventuring module and there's also these minis. So normally when you're putting your workers into these exosuits to go out into the war-torn atmosphere, so you just put them on a chipboard place to show, hey, they're inside of an exosuit. But the expansion has these minis where you put the chipboard workers inside the 3D plastic, the 3D plastic <laughs> minis, and those are the exosuit, and you put those out. That's and those cool. minis are really gorgeous. They are beautiful. And putting them down on the board, like you really get a sense of, I've put it in something, I've put it out. They they have a very dominating presence when you're playing the game. And so the expansion also is really nice. The expansion is quite expensive. The expansion does not say it's solo-friendly, and I'll come back to that later when we get on to it. So if you're strictly by-the-book type person, so you probably want to pass on the expansion unless you want the minis, but the minis are really nice. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably come back to more about the expansion when I get into overview. But for components, the expansion components are also really nice. I will say, though, that fitting everything in the box is definitely a challenge. You're talking much there is. It does fit, but with everything, it's definitely at capacity. Um, that said, there is two things that do bother me a, one more than the other about the game. The smaller bother for me is that I think it's pretty clear that the game is not really intended for long-term use without the expansion. I said you just put the chipboard workers on these hexes to show that they're in the bots. 
if you're just playing that way, it is so easy for those things to fall off or get jostled around or get moved around. It would have been much nicer if those were like an actual two layered components that they sit there and they don't move when you're putting them all the way in the center of the board next to everybody else's and everyone else jostles around on that board. It's very easy for those things to get knocked around and fall apart. But I really think that they were wanting you because again, they were put together in the Kickstarter and I'm, I think that they're intending that most people who really like the game would probably get the expansion. So I just don't think they were intended that to be like a long-term thing. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. The other thing that bothers me a little bit was their decision about the, the, the time travel bidding things. So like I said before, you're allowed to say that I want my future self to send me a worker. Mechanically, the way you do that is you have a bunch of pieces. There's these triangle chips. And during the beginning of the game, you will bid with them in a closed fist bid. You'll hold in your hand the number of zero, one, two, zero, one or two of these chips. And then everyone together will reveal how much stuff they're asking their future self to send you. So these t- triangle chips you're supposed to close in your hand and select secretly and then reveal them. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but these t- having a triangle that you're hiding in your hand with these sharp points... Well, first of all, it's not particularly comfortable holding on to triangles in a closed hand. Second of all, the corners get get dinged up yeah. really easily. Like we've, you know, this is why people like to clip their corners if you're a war gamer, because straight point triangles, <laughs> just not <laughs> wow. that good of an idea. It just wasn't that good of an idea. You know, even if it were like a hex or a circle pieces, I understand they have circle pieces or something else, so they could have had it be, you know, a different type of shape or something like that. I'm sure they could have come with something else. I, why did it have to be a triangle? I really <laughs> wish for anything but a triangle. My Mine are getting beat up already. Like, I can see them. dings on them. I can see corners getting bent on them. Hmm. I, I just wish it wasn't yeah, a triangle. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a weird shape for something you hide in your hand. Right. And why are you hiding them in your hand? What are you betting on here? You're trying to see how much stuff you're, the future is popping up from you because it's all done. The the bidding for how much stuff you're getting from the future is done in secret, and then everyone reveals, and then the future stuff teleports to you. Uh, so so when you're playing this multiplayer, how much you, you want to bring for, from the future may impact what somebody else would want to bring back from the future? If they, like if I know you're bringing back... Theoretically it would, but you you have to guess. Okay. And it makes a difference also because if you're bringing back more stuff than someone else, then there's a higher chance that you're going to be having more anachronisms coming to you. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So that's why it's more secret. So I just wish I just wish it wasn't triangles. When I as as the, as nice as everything in the box is, and there's so many nice things I have to say about it, it's a minor thing. I just wish it wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, um, what, I mean, this is doesn't sound like a game breaker at all. Just, it's really not a game breaker. <laughs> I, it's just it just bugs me a little bit. One other thing, by the way, that was unclear for me when we we're talking about the art and the components. There is the icon for spend, which is just a black circle under whatever it is that you're supposed to be spending. That wasn't the clearest thing to me uh, because it's a black. It's it's not actually a circle across the whole thing. It's a black circle at the bottom. Imagine like in a three dimensional, like something falling into the hole. Mm-hmm. And, and that means spend that wasn't a perfectly clear icon and it's kind of easy to miss um, and it comes up relatively frequently so I don't know 
I think that maybe a red border or something for that might have been a bit better to show that. But yeah, again, minor nitpicks. Having discussed the components, oh Albert, have you got anything else to say about the components? No. Um, or did you already? I, I've said my piece. I think there's a lot of them. The art looks fantastic. It looks big. It looks. Does it take up a ton of space on your table? Does it fit on a on a regular table? It does fit on a regular table, but you're going to have to figure out how to fit everything in. Okay. So that's everything we have to say about components. Then let's move on to the gameplay, which is going to be a bit more meat here. Um, this some of the interesting aspects of the game are well. There's there's a bunch of different interesting aspects of the game. Let's talk about one first. This is a worker placement game, but there's actually three different types of worker placement spaces. Um, there's your standard space, which is where your workers go on your main board. And then there's the exosuit, which is the shared spaces. And then there's also the free spaces, which are these little circle spaces. Mm -hmm. So free spaces, they don't take your one action per turn. But normally you're allowed to take one action. So that's either one of your spaces, which stay there forever, or an exosuit space, which somebody else could grab if you're not fast. So by having those two different types of spaces, it helps create the normal tension that you have of a worker placement game where you're trying to rush to get the center places. But you still always have the reliability of being able to have your own worker spots to be able to do things in your own spaces. So you'll still have things to do, assuming you've been sort of progressing, building up those worker spaces, because you don't have very many at the start of the game. But you, you tend to be able to always have things to do while still having a lot of that good tension as you're playing through it. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, there's a whole lot of asymmetry for it. The order that the buildings are going to come out, the order that the super projects, which are these all, the really cool and expensive buildings, comes out, um, the asymmetric player powers, the asymmetric player sets up setups, or even if you want, you can draft all those things. Um, there's there becomes a lot of different routes to be able to play through the game like am i going to be going heavy into time travel or do i want to get a lot of resources and build up to just a lot of buildings or do i want to do a bunch of resource and there's a whole lot of different ways that you can play the game and keep going through it so that that creates a lot of a variety each time you play huh, okay. um another interesting thing to this is that I mentioned that at one point in time, the meteor strikes and you see it coming when that happens. It's really like there's a sort of game mechanic change. Once the meteor strike happens, um, normally like there's a rush to get to spots first and all the spots do the exact same thing. Once you're, once the meteor strikes, everyone's rushing to, you know, in, in game story, all of your workers are rushing to do extra stuff because now the meteor is here and we have to just do whatever we can. So you get bonuses for going to each of the different spaces, and it's randomized what the bonuses that you have. You'll pull out a bunch of tokens, and you'll put them down so this one might let you get double, this one might let you get an extra worker or an extra water resource or stuff like that. And then once you go to a place, you flip it over, and you can never, ever go there ever again. And if all of those get flipped over, then the game ends. And it's only once all that starts happening that now you can go do the evacuation. So everything gets changed mm -hmm. midway through the game. The whole tension, the whole flow of the game gets changed midway. And it's a lot harder to get resources midway through the game. It adds such a cool climax and denouement 
for the game that is really different th- than other things you see. I don't normally, I, I, I can't recall anything where just the whole power dynamic of the game suddenly shifts due to something the game did to you in a multiplayer game like this, where it all just shifts around. And that's really cool. And if you don't know what's happening, you can get really messed up because the first couple times this happened to me, I got really messed up (laughs) (laughs) because I'm playing through the game and like, I'm all set. I can keep using my workers. I go do this. And then all of a sudden I've got like half of my resources available to me and I can't do everything I want. I'm like, Oh, okay. I have to fix this. So I'm going to spend this whole round fixing it. I'm going to get almost nothing done this round, but hopefully I'm fixed and I'll be able to get back in the game next round. Well, the other players decided, no, we're not going to let Julius get back in the round. We're going to rush. We're going to end the game by flipping off all the all the spaces, and he's never going to get back in the game. Oh. So I basically didn't do anything from the time the, the meteor hit. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they really like you, don't they? Oh, yeah. That was, <laughs> it was funny. Uh, it was funny at the time. It was, it, was a, it was a fun way to have played the game. It was an interesting thing to do. Um, and it just goes to show, like, it all changes and it creates such an interesting dynamic and interesting tension to change the game that way is really neat. Like, you've seen some other games like Energy Empire that over the course of the game, like, an event will happen. Or, you know, like in Feast for Odin, you'll have to feed your workers. But it's all consistent. It's all just keep flowing, keep going through the same thing. And this one, everything changes and that creates such a cool climax. That, that sounds okay. cool. There's a game, it reminds me of something of that. It wasn't the same, I can't remember what the name was, but it's a it's a game where you're, you're in a mining town in the Old West, and the whole first half of the game, you're sort of building up and trying to power the buildings and whatnot. And at some point in the game, you have to shift your strategy. No, but this isn't that. Like, you can say the same thing about Dominion. Yes, and when you're yes, playing yes. Dominion, so you spend the whole game building up your, your resource management that you're finding an engine to create resources. And at one point in time, you have to shift to change your engine over to do something else. A lot of games, a lot of games require you to realize when you have to shift your strategy to go from building to producing. A lot of things do that. This is not that. This is not telling you to shift from building to producing. This is the game shifting its dynamic it, it's nothing you did. You're not making a choice. It just happened. It's shifting how resources are generated, how much stuff you have access to, and how you can interact with the game. It's not your choice. Okay. The game does it to you. Well, it also reminds me of another game. I forget what it's called, but it's the one we reviewed about a year or two ago, maybe three, I don't know, um, where you're in space mining ores. You remember that? And then it had an expansion called the Either Or expansion. Oh, yes. Either Or. Um, Far Space Foundry. Yes. That is a, that is a, another good one that also has a similar idea about changing how the game interacts. That okay. is one that is, a, that is a good one to remind you of. And yeah, I would say that if you like how that idea works, yeah, you'll probably like this this idea too. That's a very good idea. Okay. So that's about that idea of the, the mid-game tension. Um, let me talk about the balance for a second in the game. I, I mentioned that there's a lot of asymmetry, that there's different player powers, there's different... Uh, paths there's different setups there's different goals so there's a lot of asymmetry for the most part i think a lot of that asymmetry is pretty well balanced but there's certain different leaders you have and in general these leaders give you like an extra free action at one point in time 
each round in general. And I don't know, maybe it's always hard for me to comment on balance because, you know, how many times have I played versus how many times have the designers played? I'm sure they played a lot more than me. But in terms of how it feels, to me, I don't feel like I want to play both of the leaders for each path equally. Some of them feel much more powerful. Like one of the leaders, for example, there's there's a choice you can have about one leader gives you a free resource each turn, each excuse me, mm-hmm. each round, or just lets you do research a little bit better. And like Yeah, okay. Well, a free resource is every round. Resources are a pretty high commodity. Like that's really good. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I really I really want that. I can always turn resources into other things if I don't actually need it. Like that feels really good. And research doesn't feel really good. So, I don't know. Yeah. I've started to do, in some of the other plays I've done on this, I've done a random selection for those, rather than having to make that pick, so that I could see, like, force myself to try the other ones. But I'm still just, I, I'm not feeling the same level of, of power from some of those leaders. But it's mm-hmm. nice that they're there. I really like that it's that it can be really different, that there are the different choices that you have yeah so on another point about the game weight you mentioned how much room this takes up you'd often think that when a game takes up a lot of room that it's really heavy mm-hmm. and i've seen some people like i set up this whole thing and it takes me like it's, it's hard to let somebody else set it up because like i have it almost puzzle pieced in there and so i will tell other people like shuffle this and then put it here but it takes me a minute to set up the whole game especially since there's modules in the game and to other people like uh that's a lot of components. <laughs> I'm not so sure. And the game also takes like two to three hours to do as well. Okay. Um, even though it says 30 minutes per player. No. Oh, okay. No. I, I haven't found it to be 30 minutes per player. Um, how, how about if you played solo? Is it 30 uh, minutes? Like in? an hour and a half. Wow. Okay. Maybe an hour when I play it solo. I think, I think it takes me about an hour to do. When I was learning, it was like an hour and a half. So some people think that like it has a lot of stuff, but it's actually it's not a very heavyweight game. It's it's more like a medium. Like if you're familiar with Energy Empire, which is another favorite game of mine, um, it's about the same weight as Energy Empire. It's not really complicated once you understand, you know, the worker placements, the things you can do. It's still very much a get resources, get buildings fight with other players, get the stuff, and keep going through it. It has the couple interesting bits from the time travel mechanics about going back in time and getting stuff or trading in. But once you understand the couple extra things from time travel, if you're familiar with worker placement games, you'll pick it up really quickly. Okay. So I will say, like, the art being very beautiful sort of makes it harder to realize that it's not that heavy. And the amount of components makes it hard to realize it's not that heavy, but it's really only about a medium weight game. Okay. Um, mentioning about the other variants. So in terms of things that add variability, there are also these other modules. Um, and so some of them come already in the base game, come, some of them come in the expansion. And you can pick which of these modules you like to play. So one of the modules, for example, is drafting. Um, which I actually haven't been able to do any drafting yet because I haven't ever gotten a chance to play with people who are experienced enough in the game already to start drafting without having learned mm-hmm. how to play, which I always feel you need. Um, so there's the Doomsday module included in the base game, which is you can try and make the meteor strike later 
or not strike at all. And so you can sort of push that in one direction. Um, which I'm actually not such a fan of the Doomsday module. I didn't like playing with it. Um, in the base game, there also is another module that there's the variant time thing that I can't remember what it is, but normally when you're picking what stuff you want the future to send to you, you just get it. With this module, instead, it's based on player order, and based on what order you are getting stuff, some other stuff, either good or bad, could end up happening to you. So you're trying your your bid has a little bit more of a wrinkle to it. Oh, okay. Um, probably my favorite, probably my favorite module that I will always play with is the exploration module, which is sadly in the expansion. Hmm. And with the exploration module, instead of sending a worker out to go get resources, you can send them off to go on an exploration. And if you'll over the course of the game be leveling up your bots to be better at exploration by putting resources or research into them. And then they'll go out and they'll try and hunt in the deck and they'll try and bring you back something good. Or they, they may not work out because you get to roll the die. You don't know the difficulty of what you're doing until you flip over from the deck. And then you'll roll the die for a bit of extra help. But if you didn't, if you'd rolled low and you picked up a card that's really high, you'll fail and something not so good will happen to you. Mm. The exploration module I'd like to play with probably every single time because the research action is a difficult action to take. You need research in order to be able to build the super projects, and they give you a couple extra points if you do that. But it takes a lot of time to get the super projects, and the research action probably isn't worth it just to do the super projects because you may not get the exact thing you want. So the research action feels underpowered to me when you're not playing with the exploration module but when you play with the exploration module you can use research to help your bots do better exploration which even if you're not doing exploration you probably want to sort of push other players to it or maybe you want to try and get into it because it's free resources free points it's easy to go there if nobody else is going there so you want to just stick your toe in just a little or try and make things hard for other players but that means that there's extra value to the exploration to, to the research action. And so I just feel like the exploration module adds a lot to the game and I would play with it almost every time, even in multiplayer, which I'm aware is my own variant or even in solo rather, which is my own variant. Okay. Um, sadly, it's just in the expansion. I kind of wish they'd swapped it around and put that in the base box. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So the, the the expansion does it add anything thematically, or is it all just new mechanics and modules? And does it change the what story? Thematic? Does it add to the story? No, it it just gives you the ability to go do explorations. It also gives you some extra, um, an extra ability to go purchase these um, robots that are owned by you know society in general, exosuits that are owned by society in general, which is another module. Um, but no, there's no there's no real story to it. Okay. Um, so yeah, so between all these various modules, I think it's really easy to sort of plug and play which ones you like, which ones you don't, and they add, you know, just more more availability, more, you know, how how long this game will really stay with you and stay unique. Um, and I think that the way they implemented these modules are much better than what they did in Tricarion. In Tricarion, which was Mind Clash's other game, which is currently on Kickstarter, um, all of those modules, the the expansion modules, all have to be added together. You can't pick and choose, not really. Oh. You have to add them all together. They all interweave. This one, they don't. And I really prefer that because like, sometimes I'm mm -hmm. going to play with this one, sometimes I'm going to play with this one. And so that's that's really nice, I think, that they did that. I think they probably could have done that in Tricarion, 
but just it's not the not the implementation they chose for Tricarian. I'm really happy that they picked this implementation for uh, Anachrony. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that was also theirs. That's interesting. It is. So I think I've just about covered all the gameplay. Albert, did you have anything to add? I I don't have any more questions on the gameplay. I mean, it sounds really interesting. It it, it sounds really involved and complicated, but you're saying it isn't actually that bad. It's just... It's not, actually. Just neat. It's just neat. Let me get on to the solo. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to sit here, I'm going to focus for a second, because you may have heard of Anachrony, because I know that there's a lot of other podcasts out there that like Anachrony, and I think that's really deserved. But I don't think anybody's really focused on the solo mode, like, we're going to focus on it. So, Aunt Albert, take a seat with me. Hold on for a second. Okay. Hold it on. We've seen a bunch of people implementing solo modes with Automa-like decks. And I'm a big supporter of the idea of what Automa does. Because the idea that we are trying to find out the point of interaction between human players and basically create an AI that just does the point of interaction so you don't have to track everything else. I, I'm really on board with the, way, with the idea of an Antama. The Chronobot in here has the same goals, but implements it very differently. The way the Chronobot works is, so everyone has their own player board, and the Chronobot also has a player board, and it looks very different. On your player board, you have places for your buildings, places for your workers, all sorts of things. The way the Chronobot works is he's going to have a couple tracks and a couple tokens. He'll have these six tokens that'll keep moving around the track. Uh, And the token's numbered one to six. And you will roll a die on the chronobot's turn and it's a six-sided die Mm. and whichever number comes up the chronobot will move that particular token along this track and then take the action associated associated with that space and there's a bunch of different things on there there's some things that are exactly what it is that they're supposed to be looking at and there's a bunch of different things along that track and so there's different actions that the chronobot may be taking and he's still trying to do a very streamlined type of game because he has a couple extra actions that whenever he builds resources up he trades all those resources in for points or he just gets to time travel because we just assume he can or he just gets to do this because we just assume he can so he just does all this we assume he can he's just building stuff up So it's still really easy to track, but instead of tracking it with a deck of cards, it's these tracks that are moving around in a pretty, in a randomized, but focused direction. So it's not random, like just a random die roll to see what he does, because it's still these tracks. He has to continue moving through this process. So you're still ensuring that certain amounts of car, uh, certain amounts of play are being hit. It's not like the Atamas every single time getting points or every single time getting resources. You'll Mm -hmm. still have to vary it. But it's not like a card deck does it. It's more random than a card deck because he might do this action a bunch of times or this only the one and two track might keep running but the four, five, and six circle that they're running might go or you might do the six track over and over again. So it might just run just one of those tracks and you might never see anything else. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of in the middle on where that is. Yeah, and I really like it. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea because it like you said it's random because you're only a D6 every time, but it's not entirely random because 
you know, in any given turn, like he's only do these six things, so these other ones are clear. Right, and, and in most of the times when we play multiplayer worker placement game, you, you say, "I know nobody's going to really go for that space." It's these other three that are a concern. So exactly, and it's a bit more predictable mm-hmm. than just the automata because you have no idea what's on the other side. You can't see unless you sp- split everything with like check marks. You can't see, but it's still actually more random than the automata because it could just keep doing the same thing over and over again. So mm-hmm. it has a very different feel than your standard Otamba, but it check marks all the same goals that we're looking for, that it's not completely random, it's still predictable, still ensures that a, a that a intelligent AI is created and only still interacts, it's, it's a streamlined player that still interacts with the soloist but does it a lot differently. I would love to see more things happening like this Chronobot. Could, could you this simulate that with an cool. Otama deck where you maybe like draw six cards and then each turn roll a die and whichever one you roll, that's one that happens? You discard it and flip another maybe one in? Maybe you that? could. I mean, maybe you similar-ish. could. It would be similar-ish, but you're still not running the same thing because then like – the, for this one, for example, the six is only ever going to do one of two things. Either it's going to get water or it's going to get points. Or at the end of the game, it's going to build a super project. But it's going to do one of those two things for the six. So you could theoretically just keep rolling six and it's, you're going to find a player. Suddenly you've created a player that has decided, I'm just going to keep getting water and I'm going to turn that water in for points. And that is my game, Mm -hmm. which theoretically a player could do. You don't know a player could be doing that. That is a possible plan for a player, which means that you're not going to be fighting with him over resources or he's going to be taking resources late, but you can't do that with an automa deck because as soon as the water to resources engine has cycled through the deck, you've got to wait for it to get all the way through the deck again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Which is not true of this. So it's got it's it's. I'm I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying it's worse. But it's different, and that to me is really interesting. This is a new innovation, I think, of how you could create solo modes for games because a lot of people have seen how to do automas, and automas people have started to apply those to a big number of games and i'm happy with that i think that's very good because the automa is a good system and i'm happy to see it getting applied to more and more things but this is something different and i'm very excited to see new innovations in good solo ai bots and i can see more innovations with this because i'm talking i I was talking about how the expansion technically doesn't have a solo bot to it but I can quickly see how le- how you can create expansion type things for this. So imagine you have that player board, but space the space where the four starts, for example, is a hole. And depending on which expansion you're using, you slot a chipboard token in that hole. So now it's a space, but what that space does is different. And that means that it can slot for the different expansions. Just whichever expansion or set of expansions you're using, you put it in that space. Or if you don't want to do that, you put a card over that space and you track along cards. Or you build up the mat out of different cards. Like let's say you're playing with expansions 3, 4, and 6. So put down cards 3, 4, and 6 to do it, and that'll fill your board. And if you're doing expansions 1 and 2, so your board is only 1 and 2. 
and that's how you can do it. So when I'm playing with the um, with when I'm playing with the expansion for the exploration. So what I do is that whenever the solo bot scores points from whichever way, whenever it gets an actual point token and there's a couple spots on the board that can do it. In addition, it also puts an extra token, an extra bot over on the exploration module, which adds the pressure to that exploration module, but doesn't add any upkeep. And he's still getting the points that he would have gotten from that exploration. And, and that cool. <laughs> and that's all it really takes to do it. And it could have been implemented for this one. It could have. I just don't think it was because I just don't, I, I don't think the idea occurred to really involve in it because this worked for the base game. And he was happy with something that worked for the base game. But it really could have. And to me, it's, it's an innovation. And it's an innovation that really works. And I'm really happy to see cool new innovations in solo AIs. And that's something I really want to focus on for Anachrony, is a new innovation. And I'm also really happy to see that the same designer is working right now on the Tricarion, which Tricarion feels to me more like than Otama. He's also working on the Cerebria solo mode, which is the next game coming from Mind Clash that I did back on Kickstarter. Hmm. And so I'm interested to see more by this designer, see if he does more cool stuff with this Chronobot-type AI, and see if anybody else also picks it up to, to do more ideas with something like a Chronobot AI, and see if maybe we can have Automas and Chronobot AIs, and, and we start to see even more innovations. So let's see more. Yeah, that'd be nice. <coughs> that, that would definitely be nice. There's a ton of variety nowadays in solo games, but the more, the better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I really, really want to just focus on really cool to make a new innovation. Um, let me move on to the overview at this point in time. Okay. I'm going to say I really like the game. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great game. It plays great solo. It plays great multiplayer. For me, you know, in terms of worker placement games, Energy Empire is a game I keep wanting to pull out. And this is another game that I keep wanting to pull out. This one is... You know, this is more eye overloading and takes longer than Energy Empire, but it's a really good game. And so I keep playing on multiplayer and I keep playing on solo. It takes a while to set up solo, which would probably be the only reason I don't pull it out solo. But the new innovations that it brings with solo, for me, just it's a very well designed game, extremely well designed game. And I want to see more innovations in this type of track. So especially as a one-player podcast, I want to be mentioning it. Mm -hmm. And I think if you want to continue to support the designer, you have some excellent ways to do it. You can go, the the Tricarion Kickstarter is running, and the person that's the same designer over on Tricarion. So feel free to go interact with him. Tell him that you love what he's doing with Solo, and, and make sure to encourage him to start making some more innovations like this one. Yep. Now, this game seems to be a little bit hard to find right now. I'm looking online. I don't see it. Like, Miniature Market doesn't have it. Cool Stuff Inc. doesn't have it. You could get it on Amazon, but it looks like it's maybe it retail does. price. Well, retail price is expensive. So the game is not inexpensive. Um, it was $45 for the game itself. And then if you're getting the expansion, it's another $35 for the expansion. I believe that right now it's between print runs. I believe there's another print run that they're intending on coming out. So yes, while right now it's not available, 
Um, it was available even recently, and I think it's going to be coming back into availability soon. Okay. And, I mean, there are copies for sale on BGG. It looks like you get it there for $60 on Amazon for, like, 70 And if you want one of the fancy Kickstarter boxes, you can pay a whole lot more than that. <laughs> There's no need for that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually also it's available from a couple places you can find online. It's also even available directly from the publisher. It does cost the full retail value from the publisher. But being that it's available straight from the publisher, I assume that it's in the process of just having the next printing of it coming out to, to retailers and local distributors soon. So hold up a bit longer. I'm sure it'll be out soon. Mm-hmm. Just just keep an eye out for it, and it'll be available. So I think that's everything we have to say about Anachrony. Uh, Albert, any last comments? Uh, no, well done. This game sounds really great. It really does. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.